The book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter number 25. <clears throat> Appreciate your involvement in the service this morning. I trust that it has been a blessing. The Lord has encouraged my heart in through several pieces of the service, and I appreciate your part in that. Always let the Lord work whenever truth is being taught, preached, sung, read, let the Lord work. We're in Matthew chapter number 25 this morning. <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse number 31, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall gather all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the King say unto them on His right hand, Come ye blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of these, sorry, of one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did not to you did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I don't recall ever preaching from this passage before. I may have in the 30 years that I've been preaching, but I don't actually remember it. There are some points of great interest in this passage that need to be explored and expressed. And the message is going to fall into two parts. The first part will be very straightforward. And those who've been attending a Bible-believing church for any length of time will not hear anything new in it. The second part may be very disturbing for those of that same group of people. We'll title it this morning, Sheep and Goats. Sheep and Goats. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We are privileged to be here. Because you have given us a copy of your word and you have given us your spirit to teach it. And because of those two great facts, 
we come with expectations. And we ask that your spirit would so teach that we would hear and be changed. Lord, I do not know the needs of any of the people in this room, but I know that you know them completely. And I ask that you would meet the needs of each person in this room. Let no one be overlooked. Let each heart be drawn to you in whatever method and means and way needed. Lord, it is within your power to do, and it is within our scope to ask because of the Lord Jesus who already purchased these things for us. And so in his name we ask. Amen. So let's examine this passage of scripture by first sorting out what we'll call the structural parts and get those crystal clear in our mind. So we'll start with verse number 31 here. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Point number one, pretty straightforward. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. When God the Son took on human flesh and lived on the earth, the world made it absolutely clear what they thought of him. Although some people did follow him, the world at large despised and rejected him. They treated him exactly as they thought he should be treated. They held a mock court against him. They bribed witnesses to lie against him. They beat him. They mocked him. They scourged him with a cat of nine tails. They abused him. They drove him through the streets in shame. They nailed him to a cross between two thieves. They let him die there in public ridicule. Then they sealed his grave so that they wouldn't have to see or deal with him ever again. What they didn't realize at the time was the fact that he was allowing them to do these things. He had, the Bible says, at least 12 legions of angels that were at his call. Not that the Son of God would have needed 12 legions of angels to take care of business. He could have done that himself. He's God-made flesh. But like a lamb before the shearers, he allowed these things to take place. For he was the sacrificial lamb. He was dying for the sins of mankind. For he hath made him, 2 Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the right, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ was made sin for us, that we might be made righteous. The, Lord, the world was allowed to do these terrible things to the Lord. But there was something they could not do. They could put him in the grave, but they could not keep him there. They could seal it all they want. They could put as many guards around it as they could. But three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He left that grave, and there was nothing that anybody could do to stop him. The sin debt had been paid in full. The law of God had been satisfied, and Christ rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. My friend, nobody could stop him. They could not keep him in the grave, and they could not keep him from returning to heaven. 
But at that time, he promised to return. And once again, nobody's going to stop him. It doesn't matter how many people don't believe. It doesn't matter how many people don't want it to happen. It doesn't matter how wicked this world gets. If all of the powers of this world band together, it's still going to happen. The verse is very clear, as, many, as well as many others. Verse number 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. The word here is when, not if. The time is in question. The event is not. We do not know when. But we know that no power in heaven or earth is going to prevent this event from happening. And you better note, the first time he came as a lamb, the next time he is coming as the king. The Lord is coming. Point number one. Number two, everyone will be divided into one of two groups. Everyone will be divided into one of two groups. Look at verse number 32. And before him shall gather all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Do you ever have trouble sorting things? I live in a, I hate messes, but it seems like my whole life I live in a mess. But the older I get, I can't stand the messes, and so I actually try to set time when I'm working. I try to set aside three or four times where I clean up my mess. Now, the easiest way, if you don't know this, the easiest way to clean up a mess is to sort all the stuff into categories and then deal with all of that one category. And so that's what you do. Tools, non-tools, trash. Or if I'm in my office, Things that deal with the, my messages, things and study, things that deal with the deacon board, things that deal with the construction of the church. I, I separate the things out. Trash, non-trash. You know, everybody understands this, right? Now, if you've ever done this, this is how you do it, and you get this, now you deal with all this. So you only make one trip to deal with the, the, this one category. You can deal with it all at once. Now, do you know what the problem with that is? It seems like no matter what categories I make, there's always something that doesn't fit. Trash or non-trash. So I'm not sure if I need this or not. So I'm not sure if it's trash or not. So then what do I do? I start, I put it in between two piles. It's almost that, it's almost that. It's kind of in between here. And the next thing you know, you don't have any piles at all because you've got all these variations. It is a worldwide problem because in the world, we have a special category called the, the miscellaneous category. What is that? Ah, this is all the stuff. We don't know what it is, so we just throw it all over there. We have trouble sorting stuff. My friend, God has no trouble sorting. Get that in your mind. We say, oh, where does this actually go? God has no trouble whatsoever sorting. He has only two categories, two only. He doesn't wonder where. He doesn't have a miscellaneous category. This passage calls them sheep and goats. 
everyone falls into one of those two categories. I've had it, heard it said many times, and I've actually read it in history a lot more times. People will say something like, why do we insist on trying to bring religion to all the parts of the world? The Native Americans, they had their own religion. Why should we try to force the white man's God on them? The Buddhists have their own religion. And why do we, why we, can't we just coexist? The Muslim nations, they're Muslim, not Christian, so why do we insist? It is true, my friend, that every nation has construed some form of their own religion. And they, at this moment, may not want anything else. But when Jesus Christ returns, every person will be put into one of two categories. This may not be pleasant. It may not be politically correct. But it is, my friend, the absolute truth. Every person will go into one of those two categories. The fact that you grew up in a Muslim country and were satisfied with that or you were satisfied like the, the Orientals are worshiping your ancestors, will not carry any weight in the sorting process. You won't get put in the miscellaneous category or placed between the two piles. There are only two categories, and every person on the planet will fit into one or the other. It is interesting to, th to note that the two categories are described as sheep and goats. Those two animals are very similar in their external build and even kind of in their looks, but they are very different in their internal natures. My friend, each one of you here today are in one of those categories. So which is it? You can't say, well, I'm kind of in, you're in one or the other. There's no placing you kind of, well, I'm over here. You're in one or the other. When God sorts, that's the way it's going to be. Which category are you in? The Lord is coming back. And everyone will be divided into one of two categories. Number three, there are two destinations. There are two destinations. Actually, it was verse number 46 that when I read that, that's really first caught my eye on this passage. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Mankind has the inability or an unwillingness to sort like God sorts. So what they do is try to add extra destinations to the truth. Man has added what he calls purgatory, a supposed place where people go for a time to pay for their sin. Man has added re reincarnation, Get another chance at this life to do it better next time. He has added annihilation, where a person is destroyed entirely so that they no longer exist anymore, anywhere either. 
he's added nothing. He just denies that there is any afterlife at all. You're just like a dog or a flower. When you're gone, you're gone. And just cease to exist at death. A man can add anything he wants to try to make himself feel better. But my friend, the reality is, man doesn't get to make or change the truth. It is what it is. God has declared it. And nobody's going to change it. Whether a man believes to choose, sorry, chooses to believe the truth or not, it doesn't alter the truth in the least. There are only two destinations, and they are spelled out very clearly in the verse. And there shall go away, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Can you think of two more opposite destinations than these? Unbelievable in, the, in their oppositeness. Look at verse number 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Verse number 46 calls it eternal life. Can you think of anything more than this? What could you desire that would be better than this? It's described in verse number 34 as blessed by God the Father. It is a kingdom. How long has this kingdom been being prepared? Since the foundations of the world. It's not some slap together afterthought. God spoke the world into existence in six days. But he's been preparing this place since the foundations of the world. This is why 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It is a place that defies all comprehension in its beauty and perfection. Amazing place. Contrast that with the other destination. Verse number 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Verse number 41 clarifies this. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is such an opposite. The one is blessed. This place is cursed by God. The one is blessed. This is everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we need to probably clear up some, some of your thinking here. If I were to ask you, and don't answer this out loud, okay? If I were to ask you this morning, what does the devil look like? The average person in America, maybe on the planet, would say, well, he's a little guy with a red suit, he's got horns, he's got a pitchfork and a pointy tail. And you would say that because you got your description from the comic books. Now, the devil doesn't look like that at all according to the scriptures. In fact, if you saw him, you would not recognize him. But, because we get our description of the devil from the comic books, we also get our thoughts about hell from the same place. And if you ever think about how well, you've seen the picture of the devil, you've seen him probably drawn in a place 
of fire and so forth. And there he is with his pitchfork poking people around, making life miserable for all of the people in that terrible place. And nothing could be further from the truth. Hell is not the devil's domain. Hell is not ruled by the devil. The devil has not been in hell, and the last place he wants to go is there. He will be placed there for all eternity, not in charge, but in torment. The place of torment for the devil, not for him to rule. He will be the chief prisoner there, if you will. He is being sent there to be punished. He's never been there. He doesn't want to go there, but he's going to be sent there for all eternity to be tormented. Now, you've got to get your mind to wrap around this. If the devil is being sent, this place was designed, as the Bible says, prepared for the devil as angels. It has been designed for the most wicked beings on the planet. Think of all the wickedness that the devil has been involved in. Think of all of that rottenness, the filth of all the devil. And the, the place was prepared to punish him for that. Okay, that puts us on the far outside edge of things, right? This is a terrible place. But if it is a torment to the one who is arguably the second most powerful being in the universe, what's that going to be like for people? Can you start to get your mind to wrap around this? It is a place of absolute torment for someone who is as powerful as the devil. What does that look like for a person? who ends up there. This is a place of unspeakable <coughs> horror. You have two destinations. They're totally opposite. One is a place of wonder and delight. The other a place of unthinkable torment. Now obviously according to this passage, all of one group goes to one place, and all of the other group goes to the other place. The sheep go to eternal life. The goats go to eternal damnation. So how is this decision made? Who goes where? Who gets put in which pile? Who gets put in which group? How is the decision made? Now, this passage is not actually very clear, and it might actually be a little confusing. And the Bible is not confusing on this issue. So let's just turn to a famous passage. Keep your finger there in Matthew, but turn to the most famous passage in all of Scripture, John chapter number 3. People who know nothing about the Bible generally know this chapter, at least parts of it. John chapter number 3. Verse number 16, almost everybody on the, in the United States has heard this verse at least once. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ came into this world to pay man's sin debt. The sins of the whole world were placed on Jesus Christ and he died for them on the cross. He fulfilled the law of God against our sin and rose from the dead. When we put our trust in him, we are saved is what the Bible says. Christ becomes our Savior. When we trust what he did, that work that he did on the cross was finished. His death squares our account with God. We believe. We put our trust in the finished work of Christ. We take him as our Savior. That's what the Bible says we are to do, is to put our trust in Christ. Drop down to verse number 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Here in this verse you have the two categories. It's not hard for God to sort the people on the planet. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You either have Christ or you don't. You have either trusted him as your Savior or you haven't. It's that plain. It's that clear. It's that simple. According to this passage, the Lord is coming back. And every person will be in one of two categories. There are only two destinations. Heaven or hell. Now my friends, this is the most important information that you could have. This is the most important information in history. Your eternity rests in this information. What will you do with the person of Jesus Christ? What have you done with the person of Jesus Christ? What have you done concerning Christ as your Savior? What have you done with your sin? Either Christ pays it or you pay it. There's no other options. You are in one category or the other. There's no middle ground here. There's no miscellaneous category. The Lord is coming back. He's going to divide into the two categories, the sheep and the goats. The sheep go to heaven. The goats go to hell. This morning, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I beg of you to do that today. I cannot think of one reason why anyone would wait. Why would you leave your soul in jeopardy when Jesus Christ has already finished the work? And you must put your faith in him. That's all he asks is that you would put your trust in him, what he did at the cross, that he died for your sins and that he was buried and that he rose from the dead. Why would you wait? Why would you tarry? What is there to be gained by putting off Jesus Christ? 
There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That's the first half of the message. For many of you in this auditorium, probably most of you, you've made this decision already. You have already put your faith in Jesus Christ. And everything that you've heard up to this point is not new. You know which category you're in. You know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. So none of this has been new. None of this is, it's, you've been hearing and agreeing. It's all old. But let's delve a little deeper into this passage and find something worth some serious consideration. It would be very simple to just recognize the fact that, okay, yes, Christ is returning. I recognize the fact that, okay, yes, I have trusted Christ as my Savior, so I'm a sheep, and sheep go to heaven, so great, I'm all set, let's go. It's very easy to do that. And our minds like very easy. And so does our conscience. But easy is not often best. So this morning, I want you to grab hold of your mind for the next few moments and think. And let's reread this passage of Scripture and see what, it what message it has for those of you who have actually trusted Christ as your Savior. We're in Matthew chapter number 25. Let's read this again and see what message it has for those of us who already know Christ. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall gather all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his, the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, and ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch that ye did it not to the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. According to this passage of Scripture, what do all the sheep have in common? And according to this passage of Scripture, what do all the goats have in common? In other words, how in this passage of Scripture was the separation made between the sheep and the goats? That is a question I want you to answer in your mind from the Scriptures. In this passage, how was the separation made? 
The answer's a little disturbing. All those who had concern for the needs of the others were put in the sheep category. All those who did not have concern for the needs of others were put in the goats category. Correct? That's what the passage says. That's how the choice was made. That's how the decision to separate them was made. It says, for I was hungry, and you gave me meat. This is how the decision was made. To one group, he says, you fed and clothed and visited me when I was sick and in prison. And they said, we did? And he said, yeah, you did it not to me, but to, you did it to me when you did it to the least of these around, the people that you saw in need. To the other group, he says, you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't uh, visit me when I was sick or in prison. They said, we never saw you in any of those conditions. He said, when you didn't help those in need around you, you didn't do it to me either. So according to this passage, what the sheep had in common was a concern for the needs of others. What the goats have in common is that they didn't have a concern for the needs of others. Now, is this passage teaching us that you have to do good works and be good to, the, to help the needs of others in order to go to heaven? Is that what this passage is teaching? They separate the sheep and the goats based on, in this passage, based on whether they helped the needs, the need, the people, met the needs of people around them or not. Is it based on, is salvation based on how many hungry, thirsty people you help? Is it based on how many hospital visits and how many visits to prison that you had? It can't possibly be teaching that. Because that would disagree with the entire rest of the scriptures. And it would also make the sorting impossible. Okay, you went 12 times, but you should have went 13. Ah, uh, you're kind of in that, you, you missed one time. It would make sorting the same problem we have with sorting. Correct? So it cannot be that. It doesn't agree with scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is through the blood of Christ alone. You are in the sheep category because you trusted Christ as Savior. Don't make any mistake about that. You're in the sheep category because you trusted Christ as your Savior. So what is this passage teaching? It's actually quite simple. When a person trusts Christ as their Savior... Their sins are dealt with, and they're on their way to heaven. Is that all that happens in that transaction? Some would like to think so, but that's not all that takes place in the transaction. When a person trusts Christ as their Savior, they're now on their way to heaven, but some more things happen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Hmm. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, not only were you on your way to heaven, when you got saved, you were given the nature of Jesus Christ. What type of nature did Jesus Christ have where needs are concerned? Read the Gospels. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the life of Christ. What do we see where needs are concerned with Jesus Christ? Do you ever find him just passing by callously? He's like, oh, forget that guy. Don't have time for that. Do you ever find the Lord just passing by a need? Do you ever find him just putting off someone's difficulty? What you find with the Lord Jesus is a life lived for the needs of others. You never find him passing a need. You never find him ignoring people's troubles. Isaiah 53 tells us, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was always helping the poor and needy. He was always helping the sick. He was always comforting the broken. His life was totally filled with his life was totally filled with the lives of others. That is the nature that you were given at salvation. That is the nature that the sheep all have in common. Do we get that far? If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were given the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ is one that goes and reaches out to the needs of others. So all of the sheep actually have this nature. Is it too much to suppose that this nature would manifest itself in the lives of the people who have it? Is that a head-scratcher for us? What? I have the nature of Christ and it will actually manifest itself in my life? Would it be fair to say, by their fruit ye shall know them? When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were given the nature of Jesus Christ. Would it be not logical to say that the sheep and goats can be separated by their natures? The natures being manifested by their actions? Here's the reality of the world. Everybody has trouble. Everybody has difficulties. Everybody is having a hard time. I know that you meet people and they got a smile on their face and they shake your hand and they talk pleasantly with you. But if you were to open up the lives and the heart of every person, you would find that every single person has difficulties. We live, my friend, on a sin-cursed planet. We live in bodies that are now feeling the effects of 7,000 years of sin. Everybody on the planet has problems. It's just the way that it is. Nobody is having an easy time of it. Some people have situations that are less than pleasant. Some have them that are downright hard. But nobody has it easy. Now when I say that, and I say that regularly because it is the truth, when I say that, often the reaction is, Yes, I'm struggling. Yes, that's me. I've got this huge problem. Yes, life has not been very kind to me this week. And those may all be true. But that response is not the response of the nature of Jesus Christ. The nature of Jesus Christ doesn't say, Oh, poor me! even though you may be facing problems greater than anybody else around you. 
the nature of Jesus Christ hears that the world is full of hurting people and says, how can I help? What need can I meet? What burden can I help bear? What sorrow can I help relieve? That's what the nature of Christ says. You got to be, a, if you are a sheep, you got to be a sheep by trusting Christ as your Savior. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, that nature, the nature of Jesus Christ, was put within you. And that nature of helping, loving people around you, trying to make their life better and work on them and, 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 and meet their needs, bear their griefs and sorrows, that nature was put within you and it ought to be manifesting itself all day, every day. It's the nature of Jesus Christ. You've got to be a sheep by trusting Christ as your Savior, but that nature was given to you to be sensitive to the needs around you. Now where it really gets to be sticky. If you are not, then something is wrong. If you are not, then something is wrong. If you are not sensitive to the needs of the people around you, then something is wrong, and it needs to be corrected. Either you are not living in the life that you have been given, or you never actually got that life. Either way, immediate attention is required because the love of Christ is expected in his children. It's as simple as that. The love of Christ is expected in his children. And what it ought to be, according to this passage, is we should be able to, he should be able to look at it and say, all of these who are helping the needs of others are actually displaying the nature of Christ, and the only way to do that is having been put, trusted me as Savior to get that nature. The love of Christ is expected in his children. The fact of the matter is, you are either a sheep or a goat. Let's pray.